Please stand for the gospel lesson. And then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him, and as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. And so the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. And then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused, and he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. And then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all of that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from the heart. This is the word of the Lord. That's a very hard saying, isn't it? A very hard passage. None of us want to think about God in, the, in those terms and in that light. If there ever was a passage where law and gospel are nearby, this is it. God really is concerned with our justice, his justice as well. This is an, ancient, an old painting back to the Middle Ages of this very parable. It helps us visualize how intense this was, if you can just picture. This guy just having been forgiven the debt that he could never pay in his whole life. Some people, I said million dollars, or it's just an enormous amount. And yet, the king, the Lord, graciously forgave him, and yet he was so stingy and horrible that the slave wouldn't forgive the other slave five dollars. It's ridiculous. So Jesus is trying to make a point to the disciples. It's not about numbers. It's not about a mechanical transaction. That's not what goes on with God and forgiveness. And so he tries to grab their attention when one of the disciples are saying, well, uh, listen, I'm being extremely gracious by saying seven times. Wow, that's not what the law required. So I'm rising to the occasion. I'm just being a great guy. And Jesus goes, oh my goodness, you just don't get it, do you? Another 
famous illustration is the painting of the prodigal. This is another old one from back in the Middle Ages. The father, whose son had done about everything badly that a Jewish son could do to his father, basically spitting in his face, telling him to drop dead, give me your inheritance now, wasting his land, a cardinal sin, being with the prostitutes, being just, just getting rid of it all. And then finally, coming to his right mind, of course, comes back to the father. And the father makes a fool of himself, running out and hugging him while the hog slop is still on him. That's the gracious forgivingness of our father. And of course, you know the story about how the Pharisees, that is the older son, said, this is just crazy. It's an analogous uh, parable or description of what's going on here. Another more modern illustration boy coming home from sea, penniless, no shoes, and his obviously well-to-do parents. Some, somebody's been beaten in the background, or the animal, it's a, it's a hog <laughs> being loaded aboard, can you imagine, in the shipboard in that day. Incredible. The influence this story has had throughout history on the great painters in the world. Matthew 18 is telling us that grace has been freely given. How dare you withhold from the other person? One great theologian said that right conduct is inseparable from the reception of grace. You see, it calls into question the depth and sincerity of your own forgiveness. Forgiveness is so central to the Christian faith that in the Lord's Prayer, I think it's in Matthew only, I can't remember if it's in the other two synoptics, but forgiveness is conditioned upon for our forgiving others. At the end of the prayer, because if you do not forgive others their sins, yours won't be forgiven. Sometimes we forget that. It is conditional. It's a part of the Apostles' Creed that we'd be saying in a bit. It's part of the sacrament as we confess our sins and receive forgiveness. Martin Luther wanted to retain confession as a sacrament, but because there was no sign associated with it, he decided that was not a good idea, but it wound up being very important to him all of his life. In the small catechism, he writes, So we too will sincerely forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against us. And in his larger catechism, if you do not forgive, do not think that God forgives you. So God's heart and the essence of who he is as the nature of agape love is tied up with and is central to forgiveness. When there is conflict... When there is estrangement and discord with people, especially the people of God, it's a consequence of sin, and that sin permeates the whole body. It's opposed to his own being. It's opposed to God's desire for his creation. This famous painting of the woman cleaning and wiping, uh, cleaning Jesus' feet with her tears and 
wiping them with their hair is a phenomenal expression of the love and forgiveness of Jesus. Who he has loved much, who has loved much, will be forgiven much. What a powerful statement. And of course the disciples in the background are going like, this is ridiculous. There is something wrong here. And it was so totally opposed to their understanding of who God was and what forgiveness was. Today we want to explore not our forgiveness in the sense of the atonement. We've had many lessons about that. Well, we want to briefly look at what forgiving is, what it isn't, a little bit on what forgiving self is and what it isn't, and then recognize a few of the central ideas about forgiveness and rediscover that it really is the single most important weapon in the Christian arsenal against sin and evil and broken relationships. Forgiveness is not available to the unbeliever. We want to look at a little bit of the biblical principles of Jesus' ministry and the way people function emotionally or psychologically to understand what forgiveness is and what it isn't. It's a vital issue for all of us. It's not just some kind of religious topic. A person doesn't have to be religious to understand that there's all kinds of problems in the world and discord. When we get in trouble, the first thing we want to do is push back, fight back, receive revenge, get revenge. There's lots and lots of movies that have been made about revenge. Sorry, Dirty Harry comes to mind. The epitome of nobody else is going to do it, we're going to do it. And it's justice. God's not acting, so we're going to do it for him. That's even said in many movies. So what happens? You've been wronged, unjustly treated, abused perhaps. What do you do? You ignore it, forget it, pretend it isn't there, sweep it under the rug. Do you get a bigger stick, get a bigger knife, get a bigger gun, do you get a bigger bomb? See, what it does, it just issues in endless cycles of crime and revenge and hatred, sometimes suicide, certainly cut-off relationships, certainly divorce, certainly destroyed lives. And so we need a way back. See, sorry doesn't get it. It doesn't suffice by itself. This is a universal human need, whether people acknowledge God's presence in it or not. One famous author, well-known author, made this statement, forgiveness short-circuits the cycle of anger, retaliation, reprisals, and self-recrimination. There's no peace when we remain angry. There's no peace when we seek vengeance. There's no peace when we're in a mode of being cut off from the other. It reaches its apex in the New Testament in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount when he says, if you remember that you have something against your brother, leave your gift at the altar and first be reconciled to him. Now, think about that. This isn't like they went to church every Sunday and it was just convenient. And then the thought just, this was a very special occasion for almost all of the people that ever went to the temple. And they had to save up money for the sacrificial animal. 
So it was a very significant thing, very unusual. All of a sudden, this guy's going to leave, and then, oh, it's more important to go recon be reconciled with that person that's estranged with you than it is to worship God. That's a very powerful statement. Now, you can't assure that that person's going to receive your confession if you've done something wrong to him. But if you have, you've won your brother. If not, then Jesus tells us what to do. Most people don't remember or uh, recall that in Matthew chapter 18, about in the middle of the chapter there, the opposite scenario is there when somebody has wronged you instructions on how to take care of that. And yet the principles that we've wound up somehow embracing regarding forgiveness are pretty poorly understood. And from my experience of, oh my goodness, almost 30 years of doing this in licensed capacity, I've come to understand how significant and valuable it is. And that it takes time, it's a process, it's layered, and sometimes extremely difficult. But often there's a lot of misunderstanding about what forgiveness is and what it isn't. Conventional wisdom is forgive and forget. Just get over it. Husbands say this all the time because they just forget things, right? <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. Ah, just get over it. Don't forget, forget it. <laughs> and uh, uh, there was an, uh, a fellow that, that, uh, that wrote a book by that same title. His name is Lewis Smeeds, S-M-E-D-E-S. -E he wrote a book by that title for the precise purpose of demonstrating how ridiculous that is. All right, I want you to forget that you drove here this morning. I want you to forget. Now, sometimes we can't remember what we had for dinner last night, right? <laughs> but, but if something traumatic happens to you and you're told, well, just forget it. If you forgive the person, then you just forget it. Okay, it's not possible. It's not humanly possible. It just isn't. And so to say, well, God is requiring of us to do something that we can't physically do. It's impossible to do emotionally or psychologically or even physically. It's ridiculous. We may forget things because we forget things, but not intentionally and purposely. Okay, I'm going to forget to remember to forget, to quote a certain pop singer song that lived in Nashville. <laughs> I forgot to remember to forget, anyway. Old song, it's before my time, really, <laughs> honestly. Uh, you'll have to go listen to it. It's really interesting, though, because he said, I forgot to remember to forget. Okay, enough of that. Let's keep going. All right. The most creative power given to the human spirit is the power to heal the wounds of a past it cannot change. I think that's a very true statement. Incredible power of the spirit that God has given to us. We can't change the past. But we can change the present and the impact that that future has on us. At the end of the Joseph story, in that long 13-chapter story in Genesis 50, 
Joseph said to his brothers that are still cowering in fear before him, Satan meant it for evil, all the bad things that happened to him. But God has used it for good. There was nothing good about those things happening. But that's the grace of God and how he overcomes evil in our lives. Another principle regarding forgiveness is that we do our forgiving alone. Inside our hearts and minds, what happens to the people we forgive depends on them. An error that is commonly made is, well, I'm not going to engage that person because, because they'll just make things worse, they'll, they'll just get mad, and I'm, I'm not in a good place with my parents right now, and even though Dad abused me when I was young, well, you know, uh, it'll just make it worse because he's better now and he's older, and besides, it's not going to change anything, blah, blah, blah. I've heard that so many times, I'm sick of it. Almost everybody says something like that, and it's just based on this fundamental principle that what's supposed to happen about forgiveness is something that changes within them. We are powerless about that, absolutely powerless about that. You're responsible for transforming another person's heart, making them want to confess and forgive. Praise God if that happens, but it's absurd to think that you're the one that's responsible for it. Maybe indeed what you say to them regarding their wrongs in order to try to get them to be right before the Lord, before they die and meet their maker. Maybe, and prayerfully, that would happen, but we can't rely on it, and that's not the purpose that it is done. We do not forgive people we do not hold accountable. This is one of the most misunderstood and misused. We forgive people only for wounding and wronging us. We do not forgive people for things we don't hold them accountable for. Well, I forgave them in my heart. Well, that's great. But what if that person doesn't know that they did wrong or they think they got away from it or that you've forgotten it? Sweep it under the rug? Really destructive for both. Forgiving does not require us to reunite with the person who broke our trust. If you're the owner of a store and somebody robs your register, it's our responsibility to engage them, have justice being done, and forgive them. That is really true. Those are biblical principles. But reconciliation is about another thing altogether. We don't know whether that person wants it. If he did want the job back, oh, not so much. I don't think that that's consistent with good justice and accountability. Now, it might be under certain circumstances, but the point is it's not a requirement of what forgiveness is. Waiting for someone to repent before we forgive is to surrender our future to the person who wronged us. Again, if there's no repentance, there's no forgiveness. Well, I'm sorry. That's not repentance. That's sorry. Your job is to do your part, and that is to say, this is what happened. It was wrong. I'm no longer holding it against you because God has forgiven me as well. 
Now, it needs to be done in that order. If it's not, it doesn't get done. And these are the common errors that are often made. And here's my favorite. Forgiving is not forgetting. It is not a way to avoid pain, but to heal pain. Sometimes it gets very complicated, and we don't want to work toward holding another person accountable that wronged us, because it's painful. And we're all human beings that want to avoid pain, and often at all costs. So sometimes we just don't want to go there, and we have to work through that until we get past that piece of it, and then we're able to go to the next piece. Forgiving ourselves as the wrongdoer is often the hardest kind of forgiving. I wonder what the blocks are to forgiving oneself. What does that mean? What comes to mind is the contrast between Judas and Peter. Now, Matthew's Gospel tells us that Judas actually repented of his betrayal of Jesus. He really did, in the true sense of the word repentance. He turned around. He did the opposite of what he did. He went back to the elders and chief priests. He went back to the temple. I want to return the money. I was wrong. That's repentance in action. And they said, forget that. What if it's blood money anyway? So he threw it down on the temple floor. But then he went out and hung himself. Now Peter, on the other hand, didn't just deny Jesus once. It was three times and with oaths and curses. And to the little servant girl who had no power or influence over him anyway. And yet, you know that when the rooster crowed, Peter was struck with an enormity of his sin and went out and wept bitterly. See, there's godly grief and worldly grief. So apparently, Judas had some worldly grief. In our way of talking, we might say that he didn't believe that he could be forgiven, that God could not or would not because he had committed an unpardonable sin or it was just too gross or something. But at any rate, he could not accept or believe that God could forgive him. And so the only option left to him was utter despair and remorse. And so he hung himself. Peter, we don't know what he did in the meantime, but finally when Jesus was resurrected and came back and on that shore of Galilee, he receives the threefold repentance and restoration by our Lord. Peter, do you love me? Somehow Peter was able to receive that forgiveness. And whatever it was that was blocking Judas wasn't there. And sometimes those kinds of things are in our lives. And so we 
sometimes uh, feel like that what we've done is so reprehensible that we don't deserve forgiveness and so we live the rest of our lives being punished outcast from society isolated from everyone hating ourselves never being able to feel that we are loved or that we could love another person so forgiving ourselves as the sinner is often the hardest kind of forgiving in our passage from the Old Testament this morning that Pam read God promises to those people of Israel that he had exiled and they were in the land of the pagans I'm going to reverse the fortunes that you've experienced and the way he was going to do it was fascinating you have a heart of stone heart of stone well I won't have to forgive so many times well if I just keep these commands well it doesn't really matter God's going to take care of it anyway that's a heart of stone he says I'm going to change that and make that a heart of flesh see forgiveness ultimately is a heart issue it's not a mechanical issue it's not a transactional issue it's not one of verbiage people that forgive change their hearts their attitude toward their abusers and toward themselves and that's the miracle of forgiveness we can't do it only God can our job is to stop resisting our job is to allow God to create in us a heart of flesh and to become tender-hearted as Paul would say in Ephesians 4 be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Amen. Oh,